Any stocks you're a fan of? <laughs> uh, Chipotle. <laughs> NFL, they're the no fun league, and they're getting worse. Yeah, you know what you guys just explained? The demise of the NFL. That's like the beginning of the plot of basketball. Uh, I love you, Dad! <laughs> Welcome to the Mad Average Podcast, episode number seven? I think it's seven. Uh, we've got a great show planned for you guys. We're going to talk about a lot of stuff today. We'll get into it uh, right away. I'm here with my friends, Josh Petit, JT Horstick, and my little brother, who does the intro and music to this program, Kyle Swanson. What's going on, guys? What's up? What's up, Kent? How's it going? Not bad, man. I'm hanging in there, you know. Hey, Kent, I, I got to give props to you. We talked a little bit, and we won't stay on this topic for very long because people will probably quit listening if we do. But uh, we talked early on, I, episode three or four, about KU football, and you were excited for it. And I don't know about you, I watched a little bit of the KU football game this weekend, and they almost pulled off the upset uh, against TCU. And uh, I didn't know I didn't know what your thoughts were on, on the, the Jayhawks now. You still think they're going to get that elusive Big 12 win? There's a chance. I'm I'm legitimately excited about what's going on. I think their defense actually is probably one of the top six defenses in the Big 12. They actually look good. The only thing that's holding that defense back is getting 30-yard fields to work with. The offense has been so bad, and when they show a pulse, they look competitive. And they showed a pulse this week because Montel Cozart didn't play. Ryan Willis played through for 300 and some odd yards. So there's a lot to be excited about that with them. Let's just, but let's stop because no one cares about KU football. I only, I don't even know if Kyle cares about KU football, and he's a KU fan. I do. I actually did watch the game, and it was, <laughs> it was actually pretty heartbreaking because third year in a row that we played TCU very, very tough. And now this TCU team not as good as the past couple years, but the first time we played them, we were going into the fourth quarter with the lead. Yep, and they, they were, were like number, number three, three or, or two four in the nation next year, and we were playing at TCU. Same story, and they were ranked in the top five, I believe, still trying to get a, uh, a playoff berth there. So whatever it is about TCU, they struggle with Kansas. I don't know if they kind of try to sleepwalk through it, but it you know it was it was a heartbreaking game, especially at the end where they were driving down the field trying to get within field goal range, and they take one step forward and two big penalties or sacks <laughs> back, and it was just one of those games. There's there's two winnable games the rest of the year. One of them is Iowa State, and apparently it's Texas, Josh. <laughs> it, it may be uh, because, you know, Texas does have to come to Memorial Stadium. So. Play those eight people. Uh, it's, uh, it's flag football when uh, you're playing the Texas defense right now. So Kent, you said KU has a top six Big 12 defense. Is that ranked above Texas's? Because I thought Charlie Strong was supposed to come in with a great defense, and they look like garbage. They yeah. can't stop anybody. I'm feeling I could go out there and probably catch about, like, what, Two three hundred yards receiving, it probably. I I I don't know, man. Baker Mayfield, Oklahoma can make you look bad quick, and I don't think I think KU will probably beat, or will probably give up more points and yards and stuff than Texas did to Oklahoma, because it just feels like KU is only built to play real true spread teams and with those good running backs. There's some things like I don't know. I don't, I don't think it's gonna pan out the same way. I think Mixon and what's up Perrine are gonna run all over KU. I think Perrine like set the record last year for rushing yards against KU or almost did. So I'm I don't I don't know. I'm not taking too much clout in that for KU versus Texas defense, but we'll see. I don't know. I don't know. I I think your uh, your Iowa State thought 
was looking better, but Iowa State's played good the last two weeks. Yeah, yeah they're up and down, though. Like, I think they play better at home. And I know they showed signs of life last week on the road against was it Oklahoma State. We'll see. That that still feels like a very winnable game for them. There you go. Talking about KU football on to Iowa State football. How about we move on to the Chiefs here before everybody turns off the yeah, podcast? Yeah, if you haven't already turned this off, thank you. We love you. Thanks, Dad. You're probably <laughs> the only one that's listened this far. I uh, love you, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, we'll go into the Chiefs a little bit. How about that? Um, we haven't potted since uh, our reaction to the Chiefs uh, beating the Jets. And... The Chiefs got blown out on Sunday Night Football against the Steelers. I I don't want to do hot take, instant reaction on that game and automatically say the Chiefs are the worst team in football and all this stuff that everybody, you know, some people were, you know, acting like the Chiefs. No, were. we all picked them to lose that game. Yeah, and they, the way th- the storm went, it it looked like we were going to lose that game big too. Right, it was just a perfect storm. But what we can do today is we can kind of address some of the trends that we've seen with the first four weeks of the season. And after four weeks, we've got some pretty decent indicators of what the Chiefs are. And defensively, they're not creating any pressure. And offensively, you have every reason to be disappointed in this team. They invested in a right tackle to help bolster the offensive line. The line's played well enough. Um, I think we need to start looking a little bit at Alex Smith. And I wonder if last year was the peak of Alex Smith's time as a Kansas City Chief. I'm really starting to question whether or not he is ever going to be able to help this team make the jump into real contention, or are they going to be a nine-win team and maybe win a playoff game here or there? Do you give any credence to the rumor that Alex Smith may um, maybe hurt? We'll find bit? out. I mean, if, if, he, if he's hurt the entire year, then yeah, we'll find out. But I mean... If he automatically just has a resurgence like he did the second half of last year, then you know maybe there's some credence to that. There absolutely could be. I give a little bit more credit to Andy Reid. It seems like the play calling has been a little bit worse than it was, especially in the second half of last season. And it seems like Alex Smith doesn't have as much free reign as he did last season, which you may disagree with. That's just what it looks like to me. I, I don't know if that's completely true. I, mean, I think there might be some credence to that, but... The Steelers game in particular, he just he dropped his eyes a lot, and he just missed a ton of guys. I'm there's always this weird balance with Alex Smith and Andy Reid. You wonder, you're always wondering, is it Alex Smith not running the offense well, not executing, or is it Andy Reid saying, I don't even know why I try. I don't know why I try to throw the ball vertically. I don't know why I try to push the ball down the field. Alex Smith is what he is and i'm throwing a ton of a ton of slip screens on the edge and screens out of bunch formations just to try to generate yards it's it's this weird balance that's really hard to kind of understand i don't know how you guys feel about that yeah um well the other thing i was going to think talking about andy Reid and the play calling is maybe we devalued Doug Peterson a little bit more than what he is because obviously he's doing things in Philadelphia with a rookie quarterback and you know um, Alex Smith had a good second half of the year last year so I don't know how much of that has to do with Doug Peterson a little bit too not being here uh, you know going forward that could be the case very well could be the case but one thing that's kind of I've noticed it looks like the Chiefs look a lot better early in the game with the first 15 plays of the game where they're doing a lot of early stuff and they they seem a lot better but as the game progresses it seems like they get worse so it makes me wonder if you know we they've schemed some really good plays early 
and and Andy, the, the plays that Alex has been called to execute have been executed well, but as the game goes on, they have to lean on Alex a little bit more to just create, and he hasn't been able to. That's the only thing that like makes me wonder about that. What frustrates me is we've seen Alex Smith have the ability to um, take control of the game, take control of the play calling, and move the ball downfield like we like he did in the fourth quarter against the Chargers. When the game's on the line where it kind of seemed like he just threw everything out the window, went out and played football. Um, what seems like to me is Andy Reid is really, really good at, at making play calls early in a game and when they have the lead. When they're behind, it seems like everything starts to fall apart. And I don't know if that's because he's diverting from his plan or if he's sticking too much to his plan <coughs> instead of going after some bigger plays and, and some maybe trying to target some different areas of the field. But he doesn't seem like the guy that makes adjustments in the middle of a game and pays attention to what's going on on the field all the time, kind of like the play clock situation with him. I mean, that could be true. But, I mean, the, the one thing that, that sticks out to me about that is, I mean, we've only seen the wheel and deal in Alex Smith for one quarter of football. You would have to think in a game like the Steelers game where they're down by a 1,000 so quick that they would at least be a little bit more aggressive and start – you know, letting Alex have some run because you have no choice, but they didn't. So I don't know, and maybe that's a, maybe that's a point to Josh talking about the injury. Maybe Alex Smith is injured, but there's a lot to be concerned about with him. He has not played well, um, and um, I think I, my opinion of him is lowered at when it, where it was as high as it's ever been going into the year. Well, Kent, based on what you're talking about here, you've said a lot off off air about um, lowering expectations for the Chiefs. I think you even wrote an article about it. You think we should be lowering our expectations for the Chiefs based on four games, one of them at Steelers on Sunday Night Football and one of them at Houston, who's a very talented team that you would admit is very, very good defense. So I just want to just pick your brain there. What do you think our expectations should be exactly? Because I think we all, as a, as a group, came up with 10 and 6. Mm-hmm. I think that's still a very realistic number. Yeah. Our schedule's much easier. Yeah, our talent is only getting healthier and coming back. Justin Houston should be back in a few weeks. Jamal Charles just got back. He's coming out. He's going to be having a whole bye week of rest here. I mean, I, I'm just wondering where you think they're going to be at nine wins. You well, think we should change our, our expectation by one game? I think ten and six still is doable. I don't think they're going to win the division because Denver looks a lot better than I thought they were. I think they're a lot better than everybody thought they were. And Oakland's four and one now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but uh, yeah, I, it, I still that, think ten and six and making the playoffs is very doable for this team. It's it's it hasn't changed my opinion. It's though. not that it's not doable. I actually think it's completely doable. I will say real quick though, I don't, I don't, I think I devalue. I think losing to Houston looks a lot worse than it did, uh, or looks worse than it did two weeks ago. I when I say when I say that. The Chiefs' expectations should be lowered. I think they're probably a nine-win team still. Um, however, them being anything more than a nine-win team that can win a playoff game, I don't think we can expect that to be. Um, I, don't, I don't think there's a. I don't think the ceiling's as high. I guess is a better way of putting it. I think I had. A, I had a thought that the Chiefs had the potential, and if everything broke right for them, to sneak in as a buy t- uh, a team that gets a buy in the first uh, week of the playoffs and have a prime situation to where they might be able to sneak into the AFC Championship game and even the Super Bowl. I don't think that's realistic anymore. I think they're still a good football team. They're still a nine-win football team. Anything more than that, though, I'm starting to question a little bit. Does the fact that some of the teams that when we were going through the schedule, we said, 
like the Colts or the Saints, teams like that that Panthers. we thought were going to be Panthers, teams that we thought were going to be Panthers. We said it for sure lost. Other games we were kind of back and forth. Does it not change anything that those teams don't look as good? So yeah, maybe there's a better chance that to get that win there to steal one where earlier we thought, oh, we pr- I don't know if we can win that one. That one's going to be a tough one. That's a how does that? What does that do? I, I actually before the pod I went through and looked at the entire schedule and kind of just in my opinion, where I thought the Chiefs were right now, kind of did a win-loss. There's definitely some games that are probably a little more 50-50, but there's also some other games that you could probably throw in there that seemed less likely to. I actually went through the Chiefs' uh, schedule the rest of the season. I have them at 9-7. and seven. Um, There's four games that are 50-50 to me. Um we can go down the schedule. I'm not going to do that today. Maybe we can do that some other time. But there's 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 four games that I think are pretty 50-50, and then the rest of them are pretty clear-cut. The one thing that I did notice, I think for the next 12 games, the Chiefs are going to definitively have the better quarterback in only five of them. And of those five games, two of them are Winston and Mariota, who have the upside to be much better as the season progresses. There's some reasons to be optimistic. I just don't know if the ceiling's as high as, as we initially thought. Yeah, play a little devil's advocate here. The one thing I think we <clears throat> we probably didn't realize as much going into the season, as you talk about that Houston game, is how big of a deal that game was for Houston. Yeah. Um, they, you know, getting embarrassed by the Chiefs last year in the playoffs, I think they put a lot of their eggs in, their, in, in the basket regarding that game early on, and I think that was a big kind of – emotional game for him which going down there you know the Chiefs kind of walked into a buzzsaw a little bit and then also their other loss with Pittsburgh I just think I think Todd Haley gets gets super up for that game a little bit too so playing a little devil's advocate while they're they haven't looked great this whole time I think both their losses unfortunately um, for the Chiefs I think the other teams came off a little bit motivated for legit reasons I think you know yeah that's true I think you know we talked about the Saints game being a clear-cut win pretty I think we were pretty clear or most of us were saying this is probably going to be a win for the Chiefs that's a game there's there's some games like I don't think the Saints are a better team than the Chiefs but I think the Saints do one thing really really well that the Chiefs have had struggles with their entire season except for the Ryan Fitzpatrick game you know they've been very susceptible to passing and that's going to be a problem. And it, Justin Houston will probably not be there for that game. So the team you got right now is the team that's going to go up against Drew Brees. Well, it's still a long season. And like we know, especially in the NFL, a lot of things can change, especially week to week. But one thing that cannot change, the Royals season is over. And they are not in the playoffs this year, which is disappointing. Because, yeah, exactly. <laughs> this city has really, really come alive the last couple of playoff runs. And I don't know about you guys. It's one of the most exciting times to be in Kansas City. Oh, it was so much fun. The The last two years have been a couple of the best in my life. Not just for the Royals. There's been a million other things. But isolating the Royals, man, it's been everything I've ever wanted as a fan of the Royals happened in the last as two years. As a fan of any team. It's, as a fan of any team. It's been worth every night waiting, staying up until midnight or 1 o'clock when they played on the West Coast and getting up at 6 in the morning. It's been <laughs> worth that every... And I do it a thousand times again. I know it, for that for a World Series, it's awesome. Yeah, for sure. Like it, the Royals had, had been so bad for our entire lives, and Josh, you know, 
got to give a lot of credit to Josh. He's been a Royals fan for like five years. Man. I think we need to thank That's him for bringing rough, the yeah. walk to the Kansas yeah, maybe City we should, Royals. Yeah, can, we, can we just go there? Josh, thank you for thank you for becoming a Royals fan. Any stocks you're a fan of? Uh, Chipotle. <laughs> We love, we're going to play this back in three years when Chipotle is taking over the world after their huge bounce back. You heard it here Should've first, invested. folks. Mark it. One thing the Royals especially did for me, though, um, I wasn't really a big fan of watching a baseball team outside of the Royals. I would never stay up mm-hmm. and watch Braves versus whoever on TBS at night. You know, like Especially with playoff baseball, I figured as soon as the Royals were, you know, their season was done, I wouldn't watch any baseball. Um, probably still not going to now, <laughs> but now it's more salty than anything. But just the uh, the experience of watching and having a rooting interest in playoff baseball is as exhilarating as any playoff format in any sport. You watch every pitch, and you're going through all of the scenarios that could happen and what changes on every pitch. It's it's incredible what playoff baseball can do when your team's in it. I couldn't agree with you more. And I've I've been thinking about it was this. insane watching a baseball game in June versus in the playoffs. Yeah, right? it's a complete. It's it's. It's the most stressful thing. And I, the only difference, I've actually been watching the playoffs, watching playoff baseball, and I think the, the way I can best explain it is I just appreciate it more, and it's more interesting to me watching playoff baseball now because I know the range of emotions that you feel as a fan of a team in one of those mm. situations. So I've just I've really enjoyed watching and it's been really crappy series for the most part, but I've really enjoyed watching even the ALDS and the NLDS right now just because it 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 it, it helps me remind myself of all the angst and, and agony that you go through. It is it is the most stressful thing that you can experience going through four hours of a playoff baseball game. Because it's so slow. Oh yeah. With football and basketball you can see things kinda of happening on the field or court as they as they're going on. With baseball it's like one pitch, well, gonna wait. 30 seconds to 45 seconds until the next pitch. We always And there's no time limit. Yeah. You can't just be like, oh, we've been in the lead for 90% of the game. It's over. No. Nope. Baseball can change on a dime. It can go out to that last out. And it's just a different type of game, different type of playoff, different type of postseason. And it's incredible. Everybody like talks about how slow and boring baseball is. And I understand for the common fan during a game in May, I get it. I actually, I totally get it. But if you could bottle up the tension that you live in during a playoff baseball game and somehow translate it to, you know, a little bit of it to to regular season baseball, I think that would you know expand the game a, a, a lot. It's gonna be it's impossible to do, but that, I mean that's just that's just the truth of the matter is how intense and tense every pitch and moment of playoff baseball is. It's insane. I'll tell you this, uh, Major League Baseball has invented the best thing to happen in professional sports in the last 50 years when they added the wild card yep. game. The wild card game is, uh, I watched the um, I watched the NL wild card game, a little bit of the AL wild card game, but not as much of it. But that's like the best thing in sports right now because, like you said, with baseball, 162 games and those two teams, it comes down to literally nine innings. And it's a... Uh, it's kind of edge of your seat stuff the whole time. Look at what happened with the Blue Jays—a walk-off bomb to extend their season. It was it. It there hasn't. There's not always going to be like that. There's been some duds of you know wild card games, but there's been some phenomenal winner take all kind of games. It's game seven to kick off the playoffs, and it's a great move. It is a great move by MLB because there's so much tension right off the bat. So. 
talking about the wild card, like you said, Kent, it was a good move by the MLB. It made me start to think what other sports could do to potentially kind of create something like the MLB has created. Because, you know, like NBA playoffs last for like two and a half months and they're best, you know, best um, of seven series and you don't get a lot of uh, upsets in there. So this was my thought, and this goes to the NBA. What could you do to kind of create that tension? So there's 16 teams that don't make the NBA playoffs. What if those 16 teams had to go into a single elimination bracket tournament (laughs) and the winner – was the team that got the first overall pick. That would, like, eliminate tanking. It would make, like, the most epic week of basketball ever because you'd have, like, the Philadelphia 76ers actually trying for, for like, an entire week. And, and that's the way you get the first pick is you get the winner to make the first – the winner would get the first pick every year. And then the, when there's a year, like, when Anthony Bennett's going to be the first-round pick, some teams just still tank anyway. <laughs> well, no, no, that makes, that makes a really good point. You, you try as hard as you can during the regular season – so that way you can you can still try to make the playoffs, but if you don't, you're still good enough where you can try to get in and, and win that overall pick by the tournament. I would watch it for, oh, sure. for sure. A single elimination tournament with NBA style talent. Can you think of anything more entertaining? I than mean, that? what do most of us say? The most exciting weekend is of the year, the first weekend in March Madness. It's basically doing that same thing. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. And I actually think like what would be interesting with the NBA in general is. If they had like one game playoff type stuff, you'd have more upsets because that's like the one sport where you don't really get upsets. Like MLB and NFL, when you get into the playoffs, it can kind of be a crapshoot and you have wild card teams win all the time. NBA, for the most part, the one or two seeds win every single year. And so it's just, um, it, you know, there's not a lot of drama as far as that goes. So that was just my thought on, that, on how to add something. The only knock I have on that is like bad teams would stay bad. So, like, you know, the Mavericks barely missed the playoffs. They're the favorite to get the number one pick the next year. So there'd be, like, it feels like the opportunity for parity, it would be, like, the top, you know, half and then or the, the, the teams that make the playoffs and then, like, the next four teams are always going to be pretty good and everything underneath that would be really rough. So, like, the Sixers would be getting, like, a middling first-round pick. Maybe you have to do, like, some kind of the way the – lottery works where there's like a cap as far as like how low they can actually get kind of thing you know i don't know or maybe yeah maybe it's a uh maybe it's uh the winner gets the first pick and then after that they just go in order so if like the worst team they still would get the second pick at the at the highest but you could win to the first pick that would be an awesome idea so it's basically it's like winner take all for the the first only the first pick that's it only the first pick the sixers bow out in the first week because they definitely would <laughs> and then they're the second pick in the draft but the mavericks get the first pick that'd yeah. actually be pretty cool yeah i don't know i definitely watch oh uh, for I think, sure i think the nba would uh generate like millions of dollars over one week if they did that if and they should do it in like vegas <laughs> yeah seriously <laughs> like they do a neutral site like a neutral site neutral site in las so vegas cool. yeah Dude, that would yeah. be a huge event just put it in the gym and then have like multiple teams play each other right back to back just like march madness treat it like summer league you just buy a pass to the oh man that'd be I'd so do that cool in a heartbeat. buy a pass get to watch three nba teams if, go at it for their lives the yes th- the thing is if there was one major sports league that would do something like this the nba seems to be like more cutting edge than anybody like the mlb the mlb tries to be progressive but they can only be as progressive as they they're limited nfl they're the no fun league and they're getting worse <laughs> they're, they're not like finding teams they're finding the like twitter accounts for individual teams for posting like highlights of yeah. their team's plays they made antonio brown take his 
tribute shoes to Muhammad Ali today off after two series. Oh after two series, and last and week they let him wear tribute shoes to Arnold Palmer. So it's like, what is going on? Yeah, what? They yeah, told they it's... told him if he didn't take him off because he originally said no. They said, okay, then you can't go back in the game. We're not going to allow it. Well, our unsportsmanlike conduct penalties and dancing penalties up two hundred and twenty percent from last yeah, year. Something like that. It's that just... is stupid. Like, like market market it. Have some fun with it. The the ratings for the NFL's down. So like the viewership is actually up a little bit higher, but the meaning actual, more meaning more viewers are watching, they're just not watching as long. long. So like people are catching smaller amounts of the games. But there's a problem there. And it's kind of weird to see how like everything's going. Like everybody thought the NFL is too big to fail and they're, they're not going to fail. I mean, we're not, not they're saying fine. They are. they're going to be okay. They're going to be fine. But I wonder if there's like this like wave of like some of the things that they've done that have been so horrible and that we've all hated are kind of coming back on them a little bit maybe just a little bit maybe just a little bit i mean the nba has risen in popularity like the last 10 years for sure yeah Um, and i mean there's there were always like when the jordan years i mean people were watching but um people are watching the nba especially people kind of in our age category like the nba is real big um, real big with people our age category, and and you know they just have they got a lot of interesting storylines, so it's it's been interesting for them. But yeah, the NFL's down a little bit, and I hate the people that are playing that it's been this like Colin Kaepernick protesting thing. Like no, I honestly no. don't think anyone's turning off the NFL because of that. Um, some of it is the like ratings were, have been so high for the NFL, like just it's bound to go go down some. It's still once way they get high, to a but, point they can't get any higher and. They were a little greedy. There might be a little bit of oversaturation, but no, the NFL is fine. The, the thing yeah. we got to look at is long term. Like you guys said with the NBA, um, with youth, youth sports, a lot of parents aren't letting their kids play football. And I know, Kent, you and I have had this conversation a thousand times off air. You probably won't let your kid play football. Maybe. And probably, yeah. that hurts a little bit, especially since the NBA is doing such a good job of marketing it. It's ma- making basketball the cool sport again. Oh, yeah. I'm not saying the NFL is ever going to go away, but. No, the NBA definitely has a chance to take the NFL's share a little bit. I'm not sure the NFL won't go away at some point. I if I was gonna bet, oh, it'll be around. If I no, if I was gonna bet on the longevity of a of a league, I would I would bet more. I would invest more on the NBA. Mark than, Cuban did in the NFL. Did you hear? Did you hear his? Mark Cuban, who obviously is an NBA owner. Uh, said a number of years ago that the MB- or the NFL was getting very very greedy and they were oversaturating the market, which sure. led to his decision to invest in an NBA team well, as opposed not, to a NFL team. I mean, obviously the yeah. growing rate investment is different than long term, but he's he's very outspoken about the the greed of the NFL and thinking that they're definitely just overdoing it with Thursday night games, Monday night games, Sunday night games, yeah. all day Sunday, just getting a little bit too greedy. There and, there could be a bubble that the NFL hits. I really oh, they, do, they, I really they, they will cuz any business will push until they do hit that bubble and then figure out where it is and try to find I, a comfort zone. I mean just as even, they should. Yes, of yeah. course. I just even think like they're 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 at risk. But we they're might at, be seeing this the tip of that iceberg. I mean, <clears throat> local markets are only down 3%, but national markets are down 15% for viewership. When yeah. you, when you we were talking about not number of people, but I wouldn't be. I'm just saying. I wouldn't be stunned if 50 years from now the NFL is not a thing. And it's not because this is. I don't think it's because of a decline in popularity. I just think that the way athletes are growing and all this stuff. I think there could be a the health and all that stuff. I think all of that could combine to a perfect storm where the NFL ceases to exist in 50 years. I, I think health. I think health. 
would be the biggest. Sure, would be the biggest biggest reason. For I don't that. think it's popularity. I think it's more just just the health and I mean the quality of the, the quality of the product could eventually decrease, not ne- not enough to a level where it becomes unwatchable, but because of you know I I, I mean Kyle have had this conversation about you know less kids playing youth football and stuff, kids pick it up high school in high school late and all that stuff. Typically, I mean. You can not play football until you're a tenth grader and be an NFL player, but you cannot play football until you're 22 and be an NFL that, player. That happens. That does happen. You're right. I mean, not every guy is going to be a tight end, though. I mean, that's, there's like one position where you can do that, and kind of feels like it's a former NFL or former power forward that can do that. But I do think there could be a time where you know the health concerns all that stuff creates a perfect storm lawsuits potentially down the road stuff like that there very well could be a a life without football 50 years from now potentially and the nba is not going to have that problem they're never i don't think that's ever going to happen with the nba probably major league baseball stuff like that but the nfl has some you know long-term concerns for sure yeah you know what you guys just explained the demise of the nfl that's like the beginning of the plot of basketball that's why basketball. <laughs> Seriously, do you guys remember the movie basketball? Oh yeah, yeah. Basketball. Like sports got too big and people got too greedy, so sports like ceased to exist, and they created basketball. And it, like grew, and then they got greedy. So I just—that's what I was thinking about. What you're so they're talking about. It. Our our opportunity now is to come up with a dumb sport now. Now. So yeah. if we do that now, we build a small niche of popularity. Kyle would just argue that soccer, <laughs> but. We've got to we got to invent a new sport. Is what it sounds like. I just, or just Josh's argument. Josh's argument is based on an idea from. For those of you who don't know, a movie by Matt Stone and Trey Parker, the creators of South Park, who on that South Park show predict a lot of things that actually happen in our culture. It makes it a little bit eerie, creepy, if that makes sense. I mean, they do. They they, they put a social commentary on things that end up happening. I don't know. Maybe this NFL. Maybe he's onto something here with this basketball thing. JT just said something while you were talking, and it's the best point ever. Just invest our big athletes instead of football. Let's go to Team Handball. Here it is, guys. Let's dominate the world in Team Handball. Handball, Handball's rise is coming. I'm telling you. Every four years, we watch it and go, why did we not have more handball? Wait for the NFL to decline. That's the window, guys. (laughs) The, The NFL window will, when that goes out, handball becomes a thing. Calling my shot right now. Well, we're coming up on my favorite season of the year, which is KU basketball season. And they kicked it off with late night here uh, this past week. And uh, I did watch it, and it was fantastic. Tech Nine (laughs) performed. He's fantastic. (laughs) Tech Nine. No, actually, that part was really weird and bizarre, (laughs) especially on TV. I'm sure if I was there, it was okay. But the thing about watching it on TV is they muted the crowd noise. So it just looked like there was some guy in a random gym just rapping to himself. (laughs) It's a little weird. But I did watch Late Night, and it, it gets me really super excited. Just like with every other KU basketball year, you're thinking, okay, they're, they're probably going to win the Big 12. They have championship aspirations. But what are the wild cards uh, going into this season? Season, And for me, I was thinking, who is going to lead this Jayhawk team in scoring? And there's really only three candidates, in my opinion. There's Devontae Graham. Landon Lucas. Of course, yeah. Because <laughs> if he could only capitalize on half the bunnies he missed last year, he'd average 35 points a game. Uh, so there's really only three guys in my mind that I think could do it. Devontae Graham, uh, realistically. Um Carlton Bragg or Josh Jackson. Yeah. And I kind of wanted to give a couple of my points on those, but Ken, I'll let you uh, throw your two cents in there. You don't think Frank 
is even in consideration? I don't, and I'll get to it, but I want to hear, do you think Frank Mason will lead the team in scoring? No. I just think... <laughs> I, <laughs> Oh no, God no. no! Of course not. I just but, think, I think there's I think there's like I think there's a realistic scenario where like all four of those guys average eleven and a half points a game. So it's like you that's know, fair. You know, so I don't know. I I I don't know. Here's what here's what I'll explain it with my uh, my absolute gut tells me Devontae Graham's gonna explode this year, average around fifteen to seventeen a game and could lead the team in scoring. I think he's got the perfect um, combination of experience, good outside shot. He's extremely quick and running the two-point guard system with, you mentioned, Frank Mason. He gets a lot of bigger guards matched up against him that he can drive past. Against him. Against him. That was awesome. Sorry. Yes. I had to, I, uh, no, I just I think he could, be a, he could be a nightmare matchup, man. And he's going to get a lot of minutes. Bill self trusts him. Um, I think he could – my gut tells me Devontae Graham. If I was going to go off of what I saw at late night – and that's it, which is a glorified practice. You could maybe call it a scrimmage if you want to. Carlton Bragg, yeah. he grew an inch. He gained 30 pounds of muscle. He's the most polished uh, inside move guy we have. He's a pick-and-pop player. He was shooting threes. Uh, the guy's for real. He's he's probably the one of the best NBA talents outside of Josh Jackson we have on the team. I could easily see him averaging. His ceiling's higher than Devontae Grant. Oh, yeah. So I think Devontae could average 15 to 17. I could easily see Carlton Bragg average close to 20 points a game. Um, and if that's the case, it's a Final Four team. Carlton Bragg's my guy as far as you think he's going to lead? Score. Okay. Yeah, if I was being realistic, I think it's him. And here's the thing. So everybody always hypes up one guy on the KU roster every year. There's always this one guy that got bigger, looks better, all this stuff. He's improved his physique. He looks, you know... In last year, I think Landon Lucas was a guy that everybody kept talking about. He's changed his body. He looks bigger. He looks improved. All this stuff. Well, I mean, Landon Lucas was just what he was. Carlton Bragg, having that guy be the guy that looks better and improved and bigger and all that stuff, having that be the guy is huge. And it actually looks like it's going to come to fruition. He is a freak. And he has all the talent and ability to be a all Big Twelve performer. Absolutely, I, I absolutely. I'm, I it's gonna I'm very be... hard. I'm very high on Carlton Bragg. He's more talented than Perry Ellis was. Not oh, as yeah. polished, but he looks way more polished than he was last year. Yeah. And after just one scrimmage, of course. The thing that really excites me, and it could be really really fun to watch. I think that okay. So like the the Jayhawks, they're talking about going small. At times, Bill Self said that uh, at late night, which excited me because every single KU team we've had the last few years, all you see on the message boards, everything the fans talk about is let's throw Spee in there and run it small, or let's just run four guards with one big because we haven't had two solid bigs in a while. This is the team that Bill Self's like, you know what? Let's do it. Let's do it. Could you imagine, like, think with about the Gerald like, Vick? Or I, Sfee, I, think, I, I, think, I think what it would be, it would be like Carlton Bragg, Josh Jackson, Spee, Frank, and Devontae. Devontae. Or LeGerald, here's the other thing I want to bring up with you. LeGerald Vick might be jumping Sviagoslav. LeGerald Vick has been cited by the coaching staff, including Bill Self, as the most improved player, and he looked really good at late night. He could. He's a little more athletic. He's shooting the three extremely well, and he's a solid defender. Everybody compares him to, like, a baby Ben McLemore. 
Like, mm. that's the comp he gets. It's, I mean, everybody, he's not as talented. He He's good. Mm-hmm. But people kind of compare him stylistically, athletic ability-wise. Yeah. Kind of, their game's very similar. He's not great, he doesn't have great ball handles. He's a great shooter. And he's not a, a terrific passer. But he's a very good defender, yeah. and he can shoot the three. And he can finish in transition. And he can finish in transition. So he's kind of got, he kind of fits that Ben McLemore mold. He's not Ben McLemore. Let's not get crazy. But there's, there's, there's. No, they're deep. There's no, there's no reason that he couldn't. But mm-hmm. I, I would still bet on Svee, mm-hmm. uh being the guy, being over him. Yeah, probably. But there, it'll be close. I'm telling you, man, it'll be really close based on what I saw just on that scrimmage. LeGerald Vic looks a lot more comfortable. Svee still looks like he's a deer in the headlights, which is rough for it's, a third year player. It's late night. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but that's the thing. It should be late night. It should be a practice. They, everybody's got your back. You should you should mm, be comfortable I, if you're I'm, the third year in the system. I'm not taking any anything away, really, from late night. Okay. They're, but he also... Okay, Svee... Okay, here's a couple other things, though. Bill Self said that Gerald Vick was the most improved player in the offseason. Sure. Mikhail Luke played on his Ukrainian team overseas, and he shot like 30%. Yeah. He was bad. Uh, he ended up taking a lot of shots. He led his team in scoring. They didn't do very well because he was just kind of chucking things up. I just don't know how much he's actually improved from a basketball standpoint as much as we thought he did. Yeah, I mean, that, that could he's be got, true. I mean, he was he was highly touted. He was a 17-year-old coming into college. But the jump-off point for Svee was higher than it was for LeGerald. So LeGerald had to get to where Svee was last year. You see what I'm saying? Like No, I get it, but I'm thinking that it could be – it could be LeGerald jumping speed this year. But neither one of those guys is even going to start, let alone lead the team in scoring. The third guy I wanted to talk about was Josh Jackson, who I think Bill Self's kind of tempering expectations on a little bit when it comes to the scoring aspect. That's why I kind of I, – I don't think he's going to lead the team in scoring. First time he's a freshman. The only – I mean, Andrew Wiggins led the team in scoring when his freshman senior – or when his freshman season, but he was also starting with two other freshmen, yeah. Joel Embiid and Wayne Selden, who weren't high-volume scores. He's just kind of a lot – a lot more experience around him. I, I Bill's been talking about his defense and competitiveness and his overall game. He's been kind of saying, hey, he's not going to be a 15, 17, 20-point scoring guy a game. So that's why I don't think he's going to come in. Um, but he's still super talented. The thing about Josh Jackson is he has the best situation that to enter into oh. as a elite number one prospect I mean, that any KU guy has had. Maybe since Xavier had a pretty sweet little situation coming into that team, yeah. but I think this situation's even better. It's and absolutely better. He doesn't have to feel any pressure to go out and be the guy, but he's, he's still got, super competitive. He's super competitive. He fits. He fits this team extremely well because he's a super competitive guy. He's really good on the defensive end. He wants to just throw the ball through the rim and break rims and mm-hmm. break dudes' faces. It's going to be a lot of fun to watch him and see how. He meshes with the experience that they already mm-hmm. have, and it, it's going to be a lot of fun this year. And this brings me back to my point about Frank Mason. We talked about at the beginning of this segment how you think Frank Mason might need to be added into the list of people that's going to be contending for top scoring, or at least in the mix. Average range of points. Okay, There's a range. Yeah. Okay. I do not think Frank Mason is going to lead this team in scoring. I think Frank Mason's main focus this year is going to be to try to get all of the talent around him going. He's got more talent around him now than he's ever had. He's also the most experienced player on the floor. Also, we saw with him, he is limited with his body. Mm-hmm. He he can get hurt 
I think he was hurt for a majority of last year. They just didn't talk about it. He's undersized. I think he knows that the best situation for this team is if he averages maybe eight to nine points a game, but he can get his guys in a position to do well. And he does that. He's an overall very, very good, solid point guard, averaging, what, four or five assists, four or five yeah. rebounds. I, I don't know. I think he's going to be for, more focused on distributing. I think I just think that, for me, I think Frank May, I think Devontae Graham's a better distributor than Frank Mason is. And so I don't know if it's going to be him getting guys positioned the same way you're kind of talking about. A lot of his assists seem to come off of, you know, driving through the lane and dishing it to a big. Devontae feels more like a, distribut- a distributor. So I don't know. I mean, it, I can see what you're saying. I think I would actually expect in that scenario, Devontae would be more of a distributor and Frank would still be driving the lane and, and doing his thing down there. Okay, let's. I got to ask you a question. Let's move a little bit more talking about the Big 12 as a whole. Okay. I think we all pretty much agree that until Kansas loses, anyone who doesn't pick them to win the Big 12 is not very smart. Yes. Right. Especially this year, they look like they're going to have a better team. I think a lot of the teams are going to be down. So your thoughts, You, you we think we all got Kansas at one. Where do you guys think like K-State falls as far as the other local school in this area as Ooh. far as the Big 12 goes? Oh, JT? Eight. Eight or nine. I, I know K-State lost a lot of talent last year. That's the only reason. There's a lot of question marks. And personally, I think Bruce Weber is a horrible coach, <laughs> and he can't do anything with anything that he's ever recruited. His recruits either leave or they suck. He can only coach when he's got good players around him. That's my personal opinion. I know it's kind of a hot take there on Bruce Weber, but he's pretty terrible. J- JT, do you have anything to uh, add to this since you're the K-State fan? I'm, pro- I'm processing what Kyle – what Kyle just said, because I, because I, I hear so dumb. I hear, I hear it a lot. I hear it from a lot of people, and I don't completely disagree with it, but I don't fully agree with it. Obviously, I think I don't, I don't know how you could disagree with it, considering his record at K State. He does really well with Frank Martin's players. The best talent he ever recruited there leaves, and well, now he's stuck with a bunch of scrubs. Okay, yeah, but there was other things behind all, why all those people left besides I don't like the coach because. There's more. There was there is. there's a lot of off court stuff and Let, let's look at last year though. But look at last year. They did more than they were supposed to do with I, what they had on that roster. I think is I think as far as X's nose and setting up a game plan, I think Bruce Weber is very good at that. Yeah, he's had now, some surprise years where they've now, done better than what everyone thinks. No, no one's ever obviously going to compare him to Bill Self at KU or even Shaka Smart at Texas or. Bryce, Scott Drew. Yeah, Baylor, yeah. <laughs> Whichever Drew brothers at Baylor. Um, he's never going to be compared and say he's a top five coach. But I think he's getting jobs at power five, major five, D1 schools. So he's he's doing something right. He can't just be just straight awful and garbage. And the job he got when he inherited K-State was a pretty good job. Yeah. Yeah. I will say this. I think K-State is a contender for, like, bottom of the league this year, just basing look at it, because I think, like, TCU is going to be better this year. Texas Tech is going to be better than they have been this year. So I think they're a contender for that. I will say the one thing you, when you start bringing up the coaches, the crazy thing about the Big 12 is think about how many stacked. coaches in the Big 12 have been to a Final Four. Yeah. It's crazy because you got Bill Self, you have Shaka Smart, you have Bruce Weber, you have Tubby Smith. Um, Scott Drew. Scott Drew hasn't been to Final they Four. Didn't, they haven't. They haven't made a Final Four. Okay. Uh, there's a couple more. Why I'm, I'm blanking here. Long Bruce Kruger. Weber, Long Kruger. I mean, you got like 60% of the league's coaches have made a Final Four, which is crazy when you start thinking about it. And then the ones that haven't, you throw Scott Drew out there, 
and um, you made back to back elite eights, back to back elite eights, eights and can recruit like recruit like Steve, no one's business. Steve Prohm only been in division like high level division one for what two years now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm actually so, a little down on Steve Prohm though. I don't know. I, I think I, I think it's still up in the air on him. I think I think but I'm it, just he he feels he looked a little bit over his head last year. Mm-hmm. at Iowa State, and he didn't take control of a very talented roster. I'm a little weary of him. The Chris Baird guy so, that Texas Tech brought in, he was at Arkansas Little Rock last year, and I think they had like 11 new guys on their roster at Little Rock, and they went off and won like their first 20 games. They were ranked at one point in the season, won their first um, game of the tournament last year, that's a that looks like it could be a pretty good hire for them as well. I'm actually higher. I think I think I like him a little bit better than what Steve Prohm did at uh, yeah. Murray State. Well, then you got Jamie Dixon went to TCU this yep. year, um, and so that's I mean the, the Big Twelve is just loaded with coaches. Been, yeah. Did he take Pitt to a? He made Pitt to Final Final Four. four. There's yeah. another one. And, and I misspoke. I said Tubby Smith, and I I thought we were talking about last year. He's not necessarily in the Big Twelve this year, but he was last year, and there were a bunch of Final Four. So needless to say, there's a lot of really 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 good coaches. In the Big Twelve, um, K State, K State would be a lot better in the Pac twelve than they would be. You know what I'm saying? Like I, I think you know, like with K State, I agree. They I, might, they might be ninth, but that I doesn't still, necessarily mean the it Big bad. Twelve has turned himself into a really, really good basketball oh. conference because of the ability to attract good coaches like that. So it's not necessarily a big knock on K State. I don't believe in Bruce Weber, but fair, fair and enough. Their roster, you're, and their roster, you're this definitely year, not alone. Yeah, and their roster this year just doesn't seem to be something that's going to be as competitive in the Big 12 as years past. So that's why I see them as yeah. like 8-9 in the league. I, I still think, and this may be a little bit of Homer coming out of me, I still think until, yes, TCU's been getting better. Texas Tech. I think Texas Tech been, could be very good this I year. I think they could be. They have a lot of returning it's like, it's like we, this is going to be a weird comparison, but when we say everyone's picking KU until they lose it, where there's other teams that could, I'm still picking K-State over the TCU, the the Texas Tech. Oh, until they prove until, it. Until yeah. those teams consistently are ahead of them, even with those coaches. So I'm to me, I would I think K State they don't finish in the top half. I say they finish seven. Six, seven, eight. Six, seven, eight. Middle seven. in the top half. I know. I'm, <laughs> I'm realistic. They're not finishing in the top half. So I so, say seven. Yeah. So I'll every, say seven. Like we said, everybody's picking KU for second place. That's really the the big toss up because I think two through five pretty close. I think Texas, obviously, because they probably have the best coach, and they have a lot of talent on that roster. It's just still kind of in limbo versus his system, versus his guys that he has, versus you know what they're there, trying there to do here. There shouldn't be limbo at this point, though. At, in year two, there shouldn't be limbo. It should be. I don't think the shock be, effect should be in full. Effect. Yeah, I don't think there should be a lot of limbo. Um, they you know they lost a lot last year, but they also a lot of the guys they had last year didn't really fit Shaka's system That's with like Cam Ridley. Um, Prince eBay, you know, they lost Isaiah Taylor. He did bring in one five-star and three four-star recruits. So I think he's getting to recruit what he wants to recruit and is going to be able to establish the system. And then on top of it, he's coaching that USA under 18 team, which is going to help because two of the guys played for him, James Banks, who was the five-star recruit, um, being one of them, two of the, of the guys that are going to be on the team played for him all summer. So you got those new guys that got to play with him all summer and see him in that sense. And so I think they're going to get get rolling with his system pretty quick this year. Yeah, so. He he could get the Sean Miller bump kind of the same way Sean Miller has because he's done really well in recruiting ever since he started coaching at the other one mm-hmm. of the under 18, yeah. 19 teams too. That's a it's a great point. I'm interested to see like what kind of guys he attracts. Um, 
you know, freak athletes wanting to play in that system, it, it could be very scary in Texas. Well, I mean, the thing is, is it's not like we're talking about that the last 10 to 12 years, Texas hasn't been able to recruit. I mean, if you go across the board, they're going to rival even KU, anyone in the conference for the talented players they've had the last 10 or 12 years. I mean, when you get Kevin Durant in your system, <laughs> that kind of almost wins it right there. And that was my big knock on Rick Barnes when he was the coach there was that he was a great recruiter, and he got consistent talent in there, enough talent that they should have been able to compete for the Big 12 every year. But for whatever reason, they seemed to fall apart at some point. They would just start off good and then just whatever reason. They, what, I don't know what, what, what it was, whether it was the system or whatever it was, they just kind of fell apart, lost their energy, and then kind of gave up on the season under, under his regimen. Well, that's going to do it for Episode 7 of the Mad Average Podcast. Thanks for listening, if you are still listening. But you can follow us on Twitter, at MadAveragePod. Email us, MadAveragePod at gmail.com. We're on SoundCloud. We're also on iTunes. So subscribe, give it a listen. We'll talk to you next time. Thanks.